Welcome to LabCast. This is a podcast brought to you by MedLab Combo. It's a podcast where we discuss every and anything medical laboratory science. Stay tuned bi-weekly on all podcast streaming platforms and do well to subscribe. Follow us on all social media pages at MedLab Combo. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Lovecast. I'm your host, Oluwa Miwa, and together with me is Samo. We'll be hosting today's episode together, and in today's episode, we're zooming in on a crucial topic that affects millions of Nigerians. I'm talking about the National Health Insurance Scheme, better known by its abbreviation NHIS. You know, access to affordable health care continues to be a challenge for most Nigerians, and this is primarily due to high levels of poverty and an overwhelming reliance on out-of-pocket payments. So just like is done in many other countries around the world, Nigerian government set up a health insurance system as part of the solution to this issue of health financing. Health insurance is like a safety net that helps people pay for medical bills. And it's a crucial part of making sure everyone can get healthcare when they need it. But even though Nigeria has had a health insurance scheme for more than 20 years now, we still haven't achieved what we hope to achieve with it. And there are many reasons for that. So in this episode, we'll be talking about what exactly the NHIS is, what it hopes to achieve, the challenges surrounding its implementation, and what we can do about it. Joining us to share his expert views on this matter is um, Dr. Isiaka Adeyemi. Dr. Isiaka is a consultant family physician and NHIA clinical coordinator at FNC Benin Kebi. And he'll be shedding light on the impact, prospects, accessibility, and challenges of the NHIS across Nigeria. So whether you're a healthcare enthusiast, a policymaker, or just a concerned citizen, this episode will provide you with a comprehensive view of how NHIS is shaping the health landscape in Nigeria. All right, so welcome, Dr. Ishaka. Welcome, Dr. Ishaka. I'm very delighted being in this uh, platform. So we're talking about the NHIS. And the NHIA, as we all know, is a National Health Insurance Authority. Um, I know that NHIS, or NHIA, as you said, is a, is a part of the bigger discussion on universal health coverage. So I was thinking maybe even before we even talk about NHIS, maybe we should talk a little bit about what universal health coverage is. So, so maybe let's start with that. What is, what is universal health coverage? And why is it important? Universal health coverage is is a way by which you want every individual, every Nigerian, every resident of Nigeria to have access to quality health service, irrespective of your age, your gender, or your level of income. So when you talk about universal health coverage, you should have basic health care provision for you and uh, for your relative, for your family member, for everybody. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much for that uh, brief 
explanation so let's let's get let's get on to what nhis is what is nhis really and what does it entail thank you for the question nhi as i've said it simply means national health insurance authority formerly it was national health insurance scheme and because of the uh, challenges or issues that we're having with that so it is now being uh, repelled and recently it is called national health insurance authority when we talk about national health insurance authority it simply means a social security system that guarantees the provision of needed health services to person on the payment of a token contribution at regular interval what it simply means that it's not a financial system it is a social security system that when you are on this platform you are guaranteed the provision of your needed health services when you pay a token amount of money as a contribution so that is simply what nhi is all about Okay. So, All right, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, sir, looking yeah, at the change from NHIS to NHIA, is it just a rebranding, or what exactly are the drawbacks that mandated the change from the scheme to an authority, sir? Well, it's not just a branding. There are some uh, challenges that are associated with the former national health insurance scheme and because of these challenges so we are trying to get a way or to make sure that all these challenges are being addressed and that's what gave rise to national health insurance uh, authority um before the national health insurance scheme did not emphasize whether this scheme is compulsory for every nigerian or not so this give room for some people to be on the on the scheme and the other find it uh, unnecessary to join the scheme and this resulted into low coverage so but the new uh, scheme which is the national health insurance authority has made it compulsory for every resident of Nigeria to be on this scheme. And that is why it is called National Health Insurance Authority. Also before, the power, the autonomy given to the National Health Insurance Scheme was not strong. And uh, some stakeholders, like the Health Maintenance Organization, formerly called uh, HMO, some healthcare provider and even some enrollees, they do some uh, some practices that warrant sanctioning, and uh, most of these people they go away with it. But with this National Health Insurance Authority, so the body is now giving an authority to sanction, to penalize, to accredit or delist any stakeholder that is found wanting. So also the former National Health Insurance Scheme, there are some challenges as per the 
private health insurance scheme. There was no provision for private health insurance scheme, and most of the HMOs are running the scheme the way they like. But the, this recent National Health Insurance Authority, it has stated specifically and categorically their role and their function and their mode of operation as regards this scheme. So this made the new National Health Insurance Authority to be a robust system in order to address some of the challenges that is being faced with the previous scheme. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, so, so you've mentioned that now the um, the scheme or the authority as it is now is mandatory. And I know that there, there's been some significant challenges um, across the years. For example, some studies show that um, about 83% of people still pay out of pocket, and that's a very high number. You know, some other short studies show that if out of pocket spending as a percentage of total health spending is equal or greater than 30, 30%, and if household health expenditure exceeds about 40% of, of a household capacity pay, it's going to be difficult to achieve the universal health coverage that we've, that we've earlier talked about. And yes. so we have about 83% of people still paying out of pocket. And I think yes. I recently read somewhere that, I think it's from the schemes website, so somewhere that less than 5% of Nigerians are under the scheme. So with this large... Yes number of people that are still yet to enroll. How do you hope? Because if you make it mandatory now, it means that a lot of people will, 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 are not part of the scheme, are probably going to have to pay some penalty or something. I'm not really sure how it works. But with all of these things at stake, how do you plan to achieve total involvement of every Nigerian? Thank you very much for the question. Um, once you make something compulsory, whether you like it or not, you are expected to participate in this scheme. And that is why it is made compulsory. But in Nigeria, you know, we have issued, there is, there is difference between making a law or enacting an act and then the implementation. It's because it has not been fully implemented. That's why people still see it as being optional. But if it is fully implemented, all of us don't have choice other than to be on this scheme. And being on this scheme is going to go a long way in sustaining this National Health Insurance Authority because the basic reason for the National Health Insurance Authority is that the early ones will pay for the sick. By the time everybody is on the platform, so you will be able to pool resources and fund and be able to ensure that there is no financial problem as the National Health Insurance Authority. And uh, let me also tell you that this National Health Insurance Authority is just being enacted into the law. And you know, it will take a long time before the thing becomes fully implemented. So there are various modalities by which you can make sure that the coverage is improved, even to 100%. And one of which is sensitization, which I know you are trying to do with this platform by enlightening our people that National Health Insurance uh, Authority is becoming mandatory and is beneficial if they are on the scheme. So sensitization of the general public is an important aspect. So also extension of the scheme or the authority to other areas, especially the non-formal sector, is also very important. 
before it was mainly the former sector that are on the scheme why the non-former sector are not really making it a necessity but now there are various platforms by which the non-former sector can also come in the the artisans the 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 people that are not salary earners so there is provision for them even people that are retired that they are no more in the scheme there is also a platform for them by which they can also be re-enrolled into the scheme and the students of higher institutions they can also join the scheme be you be who you are in this country there is a platform by which you can also enroll into the national health insurance authority another method by which this uh, authority is trying to make the coverage to be on the improved side is to ensure that all the state also key in into the state health insurance scheme so it has been mandated by every state to have their own state health insurance scheme so that to be able to cover both the civil servants in the states and the local government and even those people that are not on the former sector so with this it's going to improve the coverage significantly thank you very much all right sir so sir um i'm a bit curious sir now that it has been made mandatory what will happen if someone chooses to say that i don't want to be part of the authority i don't want to be part of the scheme that i prefer to pay out of pocket will there be any sanction for that person yes thank you very much for the question you know when you say something is mandatory or is compulsory you have no choice other than to join and uh, if you say out of pocket is 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 better for you then there is something wrong somewhere because the scheme has made it in such a way that it will not impoverish your finance you will not be financially handicapped due to health issues so i see nobody that will want to say he is not happy or is not going to join the scheme or else there are some issues with that person and that is why it is made compulsory but the truth of the matter is that yes it is made compulsory but there is no provision under their guideline on what will be done to the person that does not want to join the scheme there is no provision there is no there is nothing stated specifically as a form of sanction for the people that are not joined and i think this is also one of the drawback of this uh, new act because if you say something is compulsory so there's also be something in the law that will sanction the people that are violating this uh, law but it is not stated on the scheme thank you all right sir. so just as a follow-up to what you just said now that there's a drawback in law you know i was going to ask because if we've looked at if you look at the nhis scheme you know over the past two decades it was established in 1999 from what i saw online and there have been several yes. changes and reforms of the scheme over the years. In 2005, for example, the federal government started the um, formal sector social health insurance program. And in 2016, the NHIS was decentralized to create the state social health insurance agency that you, also, that you mentioned, and then implemented the basic health care provision fund for vulnerable groups and so on and so forth. There's been reforms here and there. 
And with the enactment of this NHI Act now, which in your opinion, do you think that this act will cover? Okay, I don't even think I need to ask again because you've already mentioned one drawback already. So, but yeah. do you think, apart from that, do you think it will cover all that is necessary for health insurance for the current and the future situation of things? Or what are those other drawbacks, apart from the one you mentioned now, that um, should be made that have not already been made in the new act? And I'm I'm particularly asking because I did a little bit of reading on what the US um insurance policy system is like and it's a little bit more like what they do is wait for something bad to happen so it's more like they're plugging the leak you've already mentioned one thing that they probably need to refer refer back to again what are those other things that you think in the future will still need the government or policymakers to still um change about the law and implement well thank you very much the issue is that this national health insurance authority if it is well implemented if all the sanctions all the rules and regulations in the guideline are thoroughly followed i'm assuring you in fact national health insurance authority will be one of the best health care delivery system that we can ever talk about because all the challenges that we are facing under the national health insurance scheme are being addressed but there is no system that is 100 percent perfect so that's why you can have some uh, itches here and there but i'm assuring you if the implementation is properly done majority of the challenges will be addressed so as i've mentioned one of the issues with it is the compulsoriness of this scheme of this authority when you say something is compulsory, then when you don't see people joining, what is the sanction for them? It was not stated. That's one of the major drawbacks of the, of the new act. So also there is controversy on the HMOs, that is a health maintenance organization, on which platform do they belong? There are some places where it is stated categorically there is that there's nothing that's going to be like HMO again. And uh, this HMO, they are now having some issues that what is now going to be their role, what is going to be their function. And there's a change, there's a new nomenclature that is also like the form of the functions and the role of the HMO under the new act. So, and the issue they are having now is that, okay, so I didn't know more be called HMO or because there are going to be a new change in the nomenclature. I can't remember the name, but if I remember, I can still uh, 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 um, tell you. So I'm that is one to, of the drawbacks. Are you referring Hello? to third party? Yes, thank you. Third party administrator. That is TPA. Thank you very much. So there is also a health authority, which is meant for the community-based healthcare delivery system so some of the hmo they are being scared of what belongs what what becomes of them what is their role based on this new act and uh, the form of uh, payment system so that is what major majority of them are talking about but as a team by which they were working before is still the way they were working now so they are having some challenges on what precisely is their role. So those are the major challenges that we are having.
Thank you. All right, sir. Thank, thank you for that. So, sir, with with all these new plans made by the government to ensure that there is inclusivity of every Nigerian, in fact, moving it from a scheme to an authority, one would want to ask: What are the protocols to assess these services, especially for um, the private sector people, those people who are not in government? Because um, in the previous act, we we'll see that. It's only civil servants that have access to healthcare, but now everyone has access to healthcare. So, what are the what are the protocols to assess these services? If I go to a hospital now, how would I go and how would I assess any child's care? What are the protocols for registration? And there are. All right. Thank you for the question. There are three different programs under the National Health Insurance Authority. There is former sector, there is informal sector, and there is vulnerable group. So for the former sector, the mode of enrollment into the National Health Insurance Scheme is very simple. Once a civil servant is employed, the employer will have made or made necessary arrangements with HMO. There are various forms of HMO, so the employer will have to choose HMO that he or she wants to use. After choosing the HMO, then you are going to also inform the NHIA. So once it's done, once a civil servant is employed, so the person will be enrolled into the NHIA. So the person if there are many, they can even invite the National Health Insurance Authority for capturing. But if there are few or one or two, then they can go to the National Health Insurance uh, Authority to get enrolled. And uh, once they are enrolled, they'll be given a waiting period of three months. And after three months, they will be given their ID card. So from there, they can be able to access healthcare delivery under the NHI. So that is for the former circle. It's very simple and clear. Once you are employed, your employer will have made necessary provision for you. Your own is just to go to the appropriate place that you are being directed to. For the informal sector, there are so many platforms under informal sector. There is what we call group, individual, and family health insurance uh, uh, scheme or authority so in this aspect so the person if you are an individual you have to go to the national health insurance secretariat that is very nearest to you so you tell them what you want and they will be able to advise you appropriately on which platform you can belong it can be individual like a single person like uh, at least minimum of 10, it can be family, you, your spouse, and uh, your children. So they will be able to place you appropriately in wherever you belong. And the ones you are registered to choose, after choosing your HMO, you now choose your healthcare provider. And there is usually a waiting period of three months, which after three months, um, services in your choosing healthcare facility.
So those are the various ways by which you can enroll into the National Health Insurance Authority. All right, so you mentioned um, vulnerable groups. Can you say a little bit more about what constitutes vulnerable groups? Yes, those are the individual or person due to physical inability. They are unable to earn income for their survivor. So those are the group of people, they are known as vulnerable group. Due to physical challenge or physical status, they are unable to make their ends meet. And this group of people include the, the aged people, children under five, the, the, the refugees and the IDP. Their circumstances, they are incapable of making their end meet. They are also categorized as vulnerable groups. The inmates, even the pregnant women, from the time of their being pregnant to the time they are about to deliver, so they are also considered as, they have no parents, they are also grouped as a vulnerable group. So those are the main category of people that were categorized as vulnerable group under the NHIA. All right, sir. So I was studying the act, and the act says that the authority shall work with, in conjunction with state, to provide basic minimum package for of care, basic minimum package of care to all residents of Nigeria. Now I'm curious, what does this, what does this basic minimum package cover, and for how long? Then what status of people does this basic minimum package cover for? And also, what other packages exist? Are there any other packages? Thank you for the question. Uh, let me try and expand on what you mean by basic uh, minimum package. Under the National Health Insurance Authority, there is what we call benefit package which is the basic health care services that should be rendered to any individual that is under NHIS. So there is nothing like a minimum or maximum package. It's just benefit package or in a simple time, the coverage of uh, services for patient or for enrollees under NHIS. So you can be talking about the minimum package or um, other package when you are talking about private health insurance. But the regular NHIS provide benefit package, which is for everybody that is enrolled into the NHIS, irrespective of the form by which you enter the NHIS scheme. What I mean by that is that you can enter the NHS scheme through the former sector, you can enter through the informal sector, and you can enter through the vulnerable group. But once you enter, there is benefit package that every enrollee under NHS will benefit, irrespective of the category or the caliber of person that you have. So this benefit package includes outpatient services once a patient is registered is under nhis and enrollee of nhis 
So you can have access to healthcare services in your healthcare provider. And this includes outpatient services. What I mean by outpatient services is that once you enter the hospital, ideally, you are supposed to register with the health information management, which people generally call medical records. So once you enter the hospital, you get registered, you open file. But under the NHS, so it is covered, you are not going to pay a dime. So you are registered with your registration, you can have consultation with your primary healthcare provider. You will also have access to the basic investigations and drugs and all the consumables that you are going to need. So you also have uh, ability to enjoy admission for 21 cumulative days in a year. So if somebody is an enrollee, so you have 21 days for your admission. Anything excess of that is the person that is going to pay for it. But the first 21 day of the year, so it is also covered. Then you are also entitled to care of four pregnancies. If a woman is carrying pregnancies, the first, second, third, and fourth, they are all covered under the NHI, irrespective of the any illness the person is having during the pregnancy. So also, immediately after delivery, the child that is born within three months, even if you have not registered the child, can still enjoy the NHS services within the first three months of life. It is after three months, if the person is not registered, that the baby cannot enjoy the services of the NHS. Then the basic package also includes the ENT services, that is ear, nose, and throat services. You are also entitled to ophthalmology services. You are entitled to all the specialist services, be it internal medicine, be it surgical, be it uh, pediatrics, be it uh, obstetric and gynecology, all the specialty, physiotherapy, radiological investigations, ultrasound, x-rays, you are entitled to all these uh, benefits under the benefit package of the NHIS. So you are also entitled to immunization free of charge. You are also entitled to family planning education note family planning education it excludes the commodities all the commodities that you need for family planning you are going to use it i mean you are going to get it by yourself it's not covered under the nhl so these are the basic benefits that you can enjoy under the nhl service you call it coverage or benefit package then there are some services that are not fully covered under the NHS. There are benefit packages, but they are not fully covered. We call it partial exclusion. And these are the services in which your HMO will pay part, and then you as an enrollee, you pay part. Take, for instance, if you are doing some um, 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 high technology investigations, like um, MRI, that is uh, magnetic resonance imaging, or CT scan, computer tomography. So the enrollee is going to pay 50% of the price of those investigations, and the HMO will also pay 50%. There are some other drugs that are also partially covered, like some immunoglobulins, like uh, 
immunoglobulin J or the immunoglobulin for hepatitis B infection. So when you are getting those medications, or the patient or the enrollee is going to pay 50% of the cost of uh, those uh, medications. And there is what we call total exclusion, in which these services are not even covered under the NHIS. And these services are services that include occupational injury. If somebody is having injury as a form of or as a result of the work he or she is engaged in, so the NHI is not covered. And the reason for this is that there is another platform where workers that sustain injuries will be taken care of. So if you still give it to NHI, like dualization of a work or double um, work, so the services of those things will be covered by those uh, agencies. Then injury that is resulting from sports, people that are into sport activities, if they sustain injury, it is not going to be covered under NHI. It is supposed to be covered by the sport medicine of that uh, football association. So it's not covered. Then uh, diseases or illness that is resulting from epidemics, maybe outbreak of cholera, outbreak, outbreak of uh, some epidemics. In short, it's not covered under the NHS. And you and I know that epidemics should be taken care of by some uh, agencies. So that is why it's not also covered. So those are the services. Then there are services that are aesthetic in nature. They are cosmetic in nature, like um, uh, um, Mammoplasty, somebody is having big breasts, you want to reduce your breast, you now undergo surgery for fashion. It's not covered under the NHS. Then what we also call contact lens that people put in their eyes mainly for fashion. So they are all not covered under the NHS. So those are the total exclusion from the NHS. But the basic healthcare need of an individual is actually covered under the NHIS. Thank you. Thank you so much for the response. Sir. That was quite exhaustive. So, but I just have a follow up on one of the things you mentioned about the epidemic. Because um, I know that during the COVID period, um, some countries are actually covering a, bat, a part of the, the expenses for their, for their patients during the COVID period, during the lockdown and everything. Uh, but you've just mentioned now that NHIS should not be covering epidemics. I'm not too sure. Can you can you say a little bit more about that, sir? Okay. When we talk about epidemic, which is an outbreak, there is an agency that is in charge of the outbreak. Like NCDC, they are in the charge of any outbreak. So when there is an outbreak of a disease condition, so it is the responsibility of the state epidemiologist that should take care of those outbreak like somebody is having cholera the medications and the services that are going to be rendered to be provided by the state epidemiology the covid 19 you have talked about if you believe me or you follow the covid 19 management the patient will be admitted in the hospital all the drugs all the things that they need they are provided for them so take for instance some infectious diseases 
like uh, tuberculosis, take for instance, once they go to the hospital, their drugs are already free. Together with HIV, their drugs are already free. So some of these diseases that are excluded, the reason for them in Nigeria is that there are some agencies that are responsible for the care of those agencies. Take for instance, disaster too, it's not also covered under the NHL. And the reason is that there is NEMA, which is National Emergency Management Agency, that is, is charged with the responsibility of providing all the needed services for the category of people that are affected by those uh, disasters. So if the NHI is now covering those things, it's like duplication of efforts and the wasting of the resources. So that's why they are completely excluded. If you follow what I was saying, most of those exclusions, there are some body or agencies that are responsible for it. For example, occupational injury, there's what we call work compensation services in which your employer is supposed to take care of the injury that you incur as a result of uh, discharging your duty at your place of work. So those are the reasons why they are excluded. All right, sir. Thank you very much, sir. This has really cleared the air on, on that part, sir. So moving on, sir. Looking at the wonderful things you do at NHIS, one would really wonder how do you get your funds? You are paying up you are paying a certain amount for the basic healthcare plan, paying fifty percent for health for a part of healthcare plan and the real the question that will come to mind is how do you get your funds? Okay. Um before I answer that question, let me take you briefly on the structure of the NHIS, what are the major stakeholders? So from there, we now know how the fund is uh, generated. Right. The, the National Health Insurance Authority, which is the overall um, stakeholder in this scheme. Then we have the Health Maintenance Organization, which is the HMO. We have the healthcare provider, or healthcare facility. Then we have the enrollee and then the, I mean, we have the employee and then the employer. So the employee and the employer will pay what we call premium, which is the yearly or monthly contribution from your basic earnings. Take for instance, if you are a civil servant, 15% of your basic salary will be paid as premium. And out of this 15%, the 10% of your basic salary will be paid by your employer and 5% will be paid by the employee. Say, for instance, your basic salary is 20,000. 10% of 20,000 will be paid by your employer and 5% of 20,000 will be paid by the employee. So the whole 15% will be paid to the National Health Insurance Authority. So all the organizations that have employees, so they have to pull the fund into the National Health Insurance Authority as the premium for their package. So this fund will now be used by the NHIA to pay the HMOs. There are services that are paid to the HMO, they pay them capitation, they pay them fee for services, 
and they also pay them for administrative purposes. And this is paid rightly from the premium that they got from the employer and then the employee. So when the NHIA pays the HMO, the HMO will not pay the healthcare provider for the capitation and then the fee for services. So by capitation, what we mean by that is that whether you come to the hospital or you don't come to the hospital for any uh, services, the healthcare provider will pay 750 naira for each life on monthly basis, whether the person come or the person did not come to access healthcare in the hospital. That's what we call capitation. Why fee for service is the money that is paid upon your presentation in the hospital for services that are secondary. There are some diseases we categorize as primary, there are some that are categorized as secondary. So the secondary services, the HMO we have to pay it as fee for service. That is how the healthcare provider, that is the hospitals, are being paid for the services that they render to the hospital. Then there's what we call basic healthcare provision fund. This is meant for the vulnerable group and the the guidelines speculate that the federal government is going to pay a certain percentage of money to the states that have started the social, I mean, state health insurance scheme. So from this money, it is where they are going to get the money to pay the healthcare provider when the vulnerable group, because the, when we say vulnerable group, they are not having a ability to engage in any meaningful economic activities. In short, there are poor people that cannot access funds. So if you have those people to be paying premium, there is no money for them. So the government has set aside basic healthcare provision fund to cater for these people. So it's that money that they will be using to pay their premium and then from them the HM will be paid and the HM will now pay the healthcare provider. So that is basically how the NHI is being funded. Thank you. What about the private sector individuals? Okay. For the what I've talked about is mainly for the former sector and uh, the vulnerable group. The informal sector, which includes the group, individual, and the family that are not informal sector, and you can categorize them as vulnerable group. These are the group of people that are involved in business in the step they are self-employed like artisans businessmen and women market women and men so this category of people they can also enjoy NHIS but their own premium is quite different from the former and the vulnerable group so if an individual wants to register under the national health insurance authority the individual is going to pay for 55,000 per annum. The family is going to pay 60,000 per annum. And if you have a group that contains minimum of 10 members, so you can also register, but each member is going to pay 15,000 per annum. And with this, they can be able to enjoy the basic benefit package of the NHIS for the whole year. So on yearly basis, they have to pay that amount of money to ensure that their package is active. Thank you.
All right, sir. Thank you very much, sir, for the answer. So, um, before we had the, this discussion, I I did a very brief survey on what people's experiences have been with the NHIS, and a good number of people said a lot of good things about the coverage. You know, how it was able to cover their dental care. Some of the things you mentioned, they are some of their drugs and and things like the laboratory test and and so on and so forth. However, there was one drawback that people kept mentioning and complaining about, and it was the fact that they had to go back and, or I think it may be more of an hospital thing, but they had to always go back and forth. So anytime they wanted to do, let's say, a test, or have to go to any type of office to register the test, then they'll build them there, then they'll have to go back to maybe where they want to run a test. Then it was like, they're just busy. I, I don't really understand the process, but there was a lot of talk about having to go back and forth for retainership form for this, for that. That sometimes, um, you know, when you're when you, when you're waiting to get a code or so, you know, you don't get it on time. So there was there was, these are just some of the issues that people mentioned. But the most the one that came out that was most that was most frequent was the issue of having to go back and forth. Um, yeah. What is the, is the authority doing anything about this challenge? Well, um, let me. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Hello? Yes, I can hear you, sir. I can hear you, sir. Hello? We can hear you, sir. Yes, sir, yes. we can hear you. Now, the issue with the National Health Insurance uh, Authority as regards service delivery is that anything you are doing in the hospital, firstly, I told you that the service that we are being rendered in the hospital are categorized basically into three. The primary services, secondary services, and tertiary services. For the primary services, these are services that are supposed to be rendered at the primary level, meaning your healthcare provider will render the service without demanding for pre-authorization code. That is, you don't need to inform the HMO of the service you want to render to the patient because it is categorized as primary, which capitations are covered. So meaning that if, as the patient comes, so you have to render those services and those include the basic tests like PCV, urinalysis. So those ones, once you come, you will not waste much of your time because you are not going to get code from the HMO. So those services are usually faster. But the issue is the issue of the secondary and tertiary services that you have to get an authorization from the HMO before you go ahead and render the service. Because if you render the services without getting the authorization code, that is, you don't get approval from the HMO, so you are on your own, you will not be paid for the services that you have rendered to the patient or to the enrollee. So you have to get your pre-authorization code from the HMO. And this is where the problem usually comes. Like a patient comes to the hospital, the doctor has written the investigation to be done, written test to be uh, given to the patient. And this need code, 
So you have to send all those services to the HMO for them to see and look at the diagnosis, whether everything's tally, whether the enrollee is usually an enrollee or the person is still active or is no more active. So they have to scrutinize before they will now give approval code. And this is where the delay usually comes from. And more also, these services is like a postpaid services. You have to run all the services first before you are being paid at the end of the month. So meaning you should have proper records of all the services you are rendering to the patient. So that's why the patient have to be signing one document or the other. They have to be compiling one thing or the other. So that usually cause some delay in rendering those uh, secondary services to the enrollee. Some HMO, the health maintenance organization, they also delay the code. After you have done your own, you have sent for them for approval. So some approval used to be get delayed, some 24 hours, some 72 hours, some even one week that you not get the approval for those uh, services. And if you are not given approval as the healthcare provider, you are not supposed to render that service because at the end of the day, you might not be giving the authorization code. So you have just rendered your services for free. So those are the issues that enrollee are facing when they come to the uh, hospital. But uh, there are some issues that are being put in place to correct all this anomaly by the National Health Insurance Authority because one of the major challenges in the healthcare delivery to the enrollee is issue of a pre-authorization code. So they are giving ultimate term to this code within 24 hours that the request is being made. So some of them comply, while some of them don't actually comply. And uh, as the network service used to be, some of them you request code based on various platforms. Some uses their WhatsApp, some are in form of SMS, some are in form of uh, email, some you have to make phone call. So sometimes their network might not be reached. You can send a message that might not be delivered to one reason or the other. So those are the issues that are being faced. But the NHS has mandated all the HMO that they must release code within 24 hours of request. And uh, during emergencies, we are, there is a place in the guideline that you don't wait for the code before you treat an emergency. If you have an emergency, you have to treat first and then demand for code later. It's when you don't have emergency or cool case that you can wait for the approval code to be given before you render the, the service. So that is the issue we have with service delivery as far as the secondary care is concerned. All right, sir. So personally, I just, I feel, I still, I feel like, um, you know, the process is somehow semi-manual. So it's like, I know that they use, uh, they try to digitize as much as possible, but there's also the aspect of um, having to stamp and sign. And, you know, for me as, as a, you know, as, as what they call us now, so we see Gen Z, I mean, millennials, you know, we want to do I mean, things faster. Huh, sir? You say as a layman in the... No, I said, I, I said as, 
as as a as a citizen of the technology world, you know, we younger ones, okay. we want to we want yeah. to we want things to be done a little bit more faster, if possible, to to take away all possible delays. So I'm just wondering if NHIS is planning to uh, convert all the operations from semi-manual to, con to completely digitize everything. So some of these cases, yeah. and, and I know from studies that um, digitizing things actually improve um, the quality of these services. So yeah. I don't know if, if it's in the works. Uh, maybe you yeah. use, uh, I don't know, I don't want to give, but I don't know, is, is, is this in the works to completely digitize everything such that I don't have to go to an to an NHIS office to ask for code? I can just do it with my phone from the comfort of where I am. Well, the, the issue is that due to this uh, improvement in technology and digitalization of the some health maintenance organizations have uh, keyed in to this little development by designing their website or portal through which you can do a lot of activities through their portal. You can request for pre-authorization code through their portal. Then uh, even your your payment for your services that are being rendered, they can also pay through the Quarter and you were able to do most of those things and most of those documentation that you have to keep. So if you digitalize it as some of the HMO have done, so it is seamless. It is very easy. But there is no uh, service that doesn't come with its own uh, disadvantage. So imagine if a portal is having some issue, maybe a network problem, or there is this digitalization we are talking about also come with 24-7 power supply. So imagine when the, the power supply is interrupted, so you can't be able to render the services as being needed. And we have seen instances, there are some HMO that are using their portal for everything, both for the demand for the authorization code and then for scrutiny and even releasing the code and then payment of the healthcare providers as when due. They have been doing it. But some of them, we have issue with them. When you start their portal, something can happen to their system that the portal will crash. And when this thing happens, all your activities that you have been doing, you can't have access to them. So some of them are having those uh, issues. But by and large, digitalization and then making everything automated is going to assist and improve the service delivery as far as the NHIS is concerned. And I know some of these HMOs, they are also key in into this uh, uh, platform. But some healthcare providers are going against it because of the challenges that they are facing because it comes with its own challenge of having 24-7 power supply, which is not easily guaranteed. And then anything can happen to automation. And there's something we call confidentiality. Once you export patient information to this uh, digitalization, so it is subject to bridging the confidentiality of the patient. There are some things that are not supposed to be accessible to a third party, which can happen. We have seen instances even in abroad 
where patients will sue the hospital for leaking their information to a third party. And this can happen through this uh, uh, information uh, technology. So those are the drawbacks. But by and large, with automation, is going to improve service delivery and uh, reduce the waiting time for the patient. Thank you. All right, sir. Thank you very much, sir. So, so there's just one thing I've, I've been... There's one more question I have. It's a personal question. Um, so yeah. I've, I've been... I've been learning recently about what um, is called blue zones. So for the sake of our audience, blue zones are regions around the world where people live longer than the average world population. But they don't just live longer, they also live healthier as well. So they have a longer lifespan and they have a longer health span as well. So there are a couple of them I can mention. There's Ikaria in Giz, um, there's Okinawa yeah. in Japan, there's Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica as well. Um, now, there, there are a number of explanations for why these people live longer and healthier lives. But the major reason for that has been attributed to their diet, their lifestyle. Some some yeah. has something, some, some part of it has to do with the community life that they live lifestyle. and the outlook. Yes. And this kind of matches with the studies that show that, um, in fact, for us to live longer and to live healthy, you only have to do um, majorly these seven things. Basically, don't smoke get seven or eight hours of sleep, eat breakfast, keep your weight down, don't eat between meals, drink moderately, and of course, exercise daily. So it's like diet and lifestyle. And if we look at one of these blue zones, Costa Rica, for example, Costa Rica has achieved universal health coverage, something that even the UN, United States has not even been able to do. And they have done this with, with only about maybe a tenth of what the US is spending on health. So they have a very, very effective means of, you know, so, of sustaining this, their universal health coverage. And a big part of their strategy is, which is where I'm getting to, is that they bring health to people rather than waiting for people to fall sick. I don't know if you, if you would agree with me. I think that the way most of our health systems are structured, they're structured in such a way that we wait for people to get sick first. They will now do something about it. So it's more like we're just plugging the leak or we're plugging the hole. So what they what they do is that they bring health to so they have clinics all around their small, small communities and they have what they call health ambassadors. So these health ambassadors are just like their health officers. They go to people's houses, they knock on their door, sit with them and ask them how they are doing and things like that. And then emphasize the need for this, what the nutritional requirement, their diet and then the lifestyle that they live. And you see that yeah. places in you know Costa Rica, you have people living for as long as 100 years, 90 years, and they are healthy, they are aged out, they are not falling sick, they are not falling sick to diabetes or Alzheimer's or any of this, any of all this. So I was just wondering, you know, from what I said earlier, that we always like to wait to solve people's um, sickness instead of actually doing, uh, doing it in advance, being proactive about it. And we've seen from this little experiment, Costa Rica, that it's even more effective because you don't have to spend so much. So I'm just thinking, I'm looking at Nigeria as well, which is actually the same, the same thing we do. And I just wanted to, you know, get your opinion on, on that because it seems almost as if, even though we talk about health, talk about health, talk about health, we actually incentivize for people to fall sick. And I just wanted to get your opinion about this, if, if this is something that you think would be applicable to Nigeria as well. Well, the health system is going beyond curative. What 
we practice more in developing country is curative medicine, which means you render healthcare services to people that are sick. So they will get sick and then you provide treatment. That is curative medicine. But the world has gone beyond that. They are more into preventive medicine. That you don't even allow the disease condition to happen in the first place. So that is where the world is heading to now. You don't wait for the hypertension to come before you start treating hypertension. You don't wait for the diabetes to come before you treating diabetes, especially when you have associated risk factors that can be addressed. So preventive medicine will go a long way and it has not been really practiced in developing countries, including Nigeria, to be precise. Take, for instance, the U.S. task force. There is what we call preventive U.S. That is United States task force, meaning that they have guidelines for every disease conditions on how to prevent them. Once you see a patient that is within a and within some age range, maybe between 30 and 35, there are some basic investigations. There are basic examinations that the person will have to undergo, even if they are not sick, so that you'll be able to know is this person having a risk factor for developing a disease condition, or is this person has even started developing the disease condition but has not been full-blown to the extent of having signs and symptoms. So at this level, so if you have a risk factor for developing a disease condition, you address those risk factors and prevent the person from coming down with disease condition. So it is not elaborate when it comes to Nigeria health system. It's only few uh, conditions that the, the health system is actually addressing, like cervical cancer in women, there is advocacy on the prevention of cervical cancer, and that is why they are encouraging women to be undergoing cervical cancer screening. There is also vaccines that can be taken. This uh, human papilloma um, virus vaccine that can be taken to prevent women from coming down with uh, cervical cancer. You believe me that malaria is still a, a, an endemic situation in the country. And then we wait for people to get malaria and treat instead of ensuring that the mosquito does not even have condition to breed. Talk less of biting people that will not come down with uh, malaria. So the people are exploring the opportunity of going into preventive medicine, but it's not full blown. And that is why we are looking into that direction. There are some services now that are going on in order to ensure that preventive medicine becomes a state. And as I have mentioned something, one key aspect of medicine is what we call lifestyle medicine. Lifestyle medicine will go a long way in prevention of some communicable and non-communicable diseases. Before, in the 19th century, in the 18th century, most of the Health problem in the developing country is infectious diseases. We are not plagued with 
uh, non-communicable diseases like uh, hypertension, stroke, diabetes, and all those non-communicable diseases. Not very common, but now we are having our communicable disease condition now compounded with non-communicable disease condition. So it's like double burden. So lifetime medicine is going to go a long way in prevention of all of these disease conditions. And when we talk about lifetime medicine, it includes weight reduction. People that are obese or they are overweight, so they need to shed their weight. Weight increment, overweight or obesity is associated with a lot of disease conditions. So when a person is overweight, that person should know that he or she needs to reduce the weight. By reducing the weight, you have reduced some, some risk factors for hypertension, diabetes, dyslipidemia, and other things that are associated with obesity. There is alcohol intake. A lot of people are engaged in alcohol. There are so many disease conditions that are associated with alcohol intake. Peptic ulcer disease, liver cancer, cancer of the pancreas, and so many other things are associated with alcohol intake. And now, if you are reducing your alcohol intake, and now what we preach is cessation of alcohol intake. So to go a long way in reducing some cancers from disease conditions that are associated with alcohol. Smoking. A lot of Nigerians are smoking. So by reduction or stoppage of smoking, we go a long way in reducing some cancers and some lung infections. Healthy diet as you have mentioned, is an important aspect. Most of us are engaged in eating on healthy diet. We don't know the calorie of food that we are consuming on a daily basis when we suppose we have about 1,000 to 2,000 calories. But the food people are eating, the calorie is too much to the extent that you are accumulating calories and you are not exercising. So those are the issues. Then people are not eating balanced diet. You take this, take that, without quantity, without quality. When to eat vitamins and minerals, proteins, you are just combining different kind of foods. So it's what we eat that our body will digest and then it accumulates in the body. So healthy diet is an important aspect. And then exercise, physical activity has been associated with a reduction in some risk factors, especially coronary or cardiovascular disease condition. So if you are exercising on a regular basis or you are not practicing sedentary lifestyle, some of the office work people sit down from morning to like 4 p.m. They drive to their place of work. They go home. They also drive home. When they get home, they sit with their television for hours and then they go and sleep, and they wake up in the morning, the cycle continues. So no room for exercise, you are just eating and then accumulating everything. Before you need, the weight will be on the increase. With the weight will increase, the hypertension will set in, diabetes will follow, stroke will follow, and then some people also do some unhealthy lifestyles. Sexual and um, uh, safe sex practice. Another important aspect of preventive medicine that people are not right. uh, engaging in. 
So some of these things will go a long way in the prevention of all these diseases that we are encountering. Thank you. So, 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 it's, so it sounds to me like most of the work really is in, is in health education. So I was just thinking, what, what if we shift our focus from of health financing from just, you know, the creative aspect and then health insurance itself to more of health education? And we, you know, we get to let these people know because I don't think for, for me now I've gone through, if I go through, I've gone through, I mean, even as a medical student, we don't get to hear these things regularly. And I believe that one of most, one major reason why people don't do them is because they don't really know about them. So like I mentioned in the case of Costa Rica, people actually go to visit these people and tell them, okay, this is what you're supposed to be doing. So apart from the fact that, yes, all of these things are important, I think, I think what I'm trying to ask more is, how much of health education have we put into this and how much funding have we put into health education to even prevent people from falling ill before we now even start to talk about spending money on insurance that now covers their sickness, not exactly their health? Yes, you are, you are correct. Health education will go a long way and uh, advocacy will go a long way in uh, changing the people's uh, lifestyle. So we need to go extra mile to ed educate the general public on lifetime medicine and also preventive uh, medicine. So the, the medias of uh, dissemination of information like uh, newspaper, radio, television, and even going to the public places to enlighten people on uh, preventive medicine and the lifestyle change that will assist them in taking care of uh, their health will really go a long way. And our attitude to information is also very important. There are so many things inside the book that people don't read. There are things on the television that people don't listen to. They, they would rather prefer watching uh, some programs Instead of listening to program about their health, even when you go to the street, some people will not even listen. You go to the market, they are, they are busy with their business, they are, they are less concerned about what you are telling them. So in two ways, we need to strengthen our health education and then people should have positive attitude change towards health education. If you are seeking for education, you will get it. And uh, if you feel you don't need education, even when they are talking about it, the mind of the people will not be there. So all in all, we have a lot of things to do as far as uh, advocacy is, uh, is concerned. There is an agency which is called Orientation uh, Agency in Nigeria. So this will be saddled with the responsibility of educating the general public on all these uh, issues as far as their health is concerned. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, sir. So we just have one last question for you, sir. And the question is is open to you. What would you like to say to people that are, that are listening to this um, podcast, you know, about NHIS, about the health insurance general, your, your final words to them? Okay. So I would like to advise the general public to key into National Health Insurance Authority. 
it is a good scheme that will be like a security when one is sick because nobody knows when and how is going to be sick you don't know the extent of the financial implication of the sickness so this is like a backup this is a security that will protect you against financial hardship that can result from a sickness so i want to encourage the general public all the people in the former sector that is the civil servants those in the non-formal sectors the businessmen and women artisans they should key into this program because it has a lot of advantages. Even civil servants, many people cannot take care of their health. Imagine somebody with chronic kidney disease that has to be going for dialysis on a regular basis, their medications. No matter how rich you are, it's going to affect you. So NHI is there for you to prevent you from financial hardship in case you fall sick. And uh, imagine you paying uh, 45,000 for the whole of one year and you are able to assess your basic health care needs throughout the year. Is it not something uh, uh, good and uh, important to listen to? So I want to encourage everybody to key into this program because the more you have people, the more for the NHIS, the more for the HMO, and the more for the enrollees that will join the team. So this is my advice for everybody. Thank you. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you very much, sir. Honestly speaking, I personally have learned so much from this particular episode. And we are, on behalf of the team, we are really grateful for having you, Dr. Isaac. Yes, sir. And so, um, I'm sure that after this podcast, you would really go and process your NHIA registration as fast as possible. You would really need to tell your friends and family to actually go and register because apart from the fact that it's mandatory, look at it. it it's one of the cheapest methods for you to just, for you to have health and save health. So it's a clarion call to each and every one of us to ensure that we have our NHIA registration done. And by this, we'll be saying thank you for staying with us through this episode. I'm sure you really had learned a lot. You really had learned a lot. And we don't take your being presence here for granted. To our, um, to our, sorry, sorry, sorry. To our guests, sir, we say thank you, sir. Thank you for honoring our invitation. Thank you, and we don't take it for granted, sir. So, it's at this point, we call it a wrap. We want to express sincere gratitude to you, dear listeners, for staying glued to us during this episode. Don't forget to engage this episode on all social media platforms at LabCast, and you can send us a mail at medlabcombolabcast at gmail.com, medlabcombolabcast at gmail.com. Should, in case you have any question or suggestion, don't forget to tell someone about the episode. Bye.